how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Creator Support, the show where we answer your questions about the business of being a creator. The first question today, did Mr. Beast ruin YouTube? We're also going to be answering the question today, when is a YouTube title too sensational? And we're going to be responding to some beef that Ludwig has with us. All right, if you make it to the deep end, let us know. All right, our first question comes from Twitter from Tariq Abdel Photo. He says, I can't wait for the Colin and Samir Creator Sports segment discussing this. And he has the Jack Septicai Tommy Init clip where Jack is talking about Mr. Beast ruining YouTube. We're going to play that clip. Yep. But before we do that, you have something on the table. I do. What is that? This is my handwriting, the full ABCs, and I've turned it into a font. What's the font called? It's called, currently, it's called my font. <laughs> my font. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you want my font, you can get it on Discord. Discord is the sponsor of today's episode. If you guys watch this show, if you listen to this show, you guys know that we've been partnered with Discord all year to launch our community. And now we've just launched our server shop with our first product, which is my font by Colin. <laughs> That's like name TBD. That's really good. Yeah. So if you guys have Discord communities, then Discord is not only a way to bring your community together. Our Discord has been awesome. We have channels for video feedback, thumbnail feedback. We've done live sessions in there. And now we have a server shop where we can sell digital goods like Colin's font. It's also a place where if you're a photographer or a video maker, you can sell LUTs and presets. And you can also launch server subscriptions, which are coming soon to our server. So this font is on sale for $2.99. All the proceeds go to our coffee addiction. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do want to check out the font, then yeah, it's our first time selling like a digital download. Yeah. If you want to write it's cool. in my handwriting, yeah. which as you look on our thumbnails on our main channel, that's my handwriting in the white text. Mm -hmm. So if you want to write like me, get my font. Was that a good pitch? Yeah. My font available now for $2.99. So not only can we sell fonts and other digital downloads, but you can also sell videos. Like you can upload a file up to 500 megabytes and sell it in your server shop. This allows you to do like a pay-per-view model and do that directly into your most engaged community as a creator. So server shop is in beta right now. The official launch is in October. If you're a creator and you've been thinking about launching a Discord server, I can't say enough great things about our Discord server and the experience that we've had. Um, but now it's not only a place to build your community, it's also a place where you can diversify your revenue and sell directly to your fans. So check out my font on our server shop. If you're not part of our Discord, that's where we get our questions from. That's where we engage with our community. Check it out. And if you're a creator, click the link in our description, learn more about server shops. All right, now, should we watch this video? Let's watch the video. <laughs> a completely unrelated question. Do you like Mr. Beast? No. Jack. Oh! Do you think Mr. Beast ruined YouTube? Yes. Oh! Now, in all honesty, Jack, why? Because it became more about views, money, and popularity than it did about having fun. You still have fun playing Squid Games? 
Oh yeah, fun riding on yachts. If he going wells in Africa, I don't know. If he had fun doing those videos, they'd be longer. We'd see the fun. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, you were gonna get me. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yet. Who's the issue where you hate the most? I don't know. There's a lot of groomers and pedophiles on our platform. <laughs> okay, so I I gotta be honest. This to me, just seeing Tommy in the background, like I don't know the larger context of this clip. This whole situation um, has since been resolved between Jack and Jimmy. But Jimmy replied to this clip mm -hmm. uh, with a pretty long reply, just kind of feeling like it was a very disrespectful clip um, that, you know, the, the context of it just didn't feel like it made sense to him and, and kind of defending himself um, when it came to this, this question of did Mr. Beast ruin, you know, YouTube. Mm -hmm. I watched the clip and I feel like this sentiment does go around quite a bit right now. That like, I mean, it's it's been talked about on our show, the like Mr. Beastification of YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I was curious to just have the discussion here about the the impact. I mean, no one has had a more outsized impact on internet media culture than Jimmy. Like, I, I is that a true statement? Do you think? You agree yeah, with that? Yeah, I would argue that. I think anytime someone becomes the face, and for many years the platform has decided that he's the face, his story is so rooted in YouTube, he currently is breaking records week to week. He's the most well-known, right? Yeah. When it comes to what it means to be a YouTube creator. And a YouTube creator is not a singular thing. Like we are all incredibly different talking about so many different things in so many different styles. Some of us are media companies. Some of us are like independent, just starting out for passion. Some of us like him, actually not many of us are like him. Yeah. <laughs> He's singular. And I think um, anytime someone becomes the overarching face representing a lot of people that they didn't necessarily ask to represent, right? Like he didn't set yeah, out exactly. to represent all he, of YouTube. Uh, this type of thing is destined to happen. I don't know that he's asked to be the aspirational figure, right? Like I think when, when I watched that clip, I thought about it and I was like, you know, the reality is, yes, he is the largest. He's created a completely new thing on the internet that we've never seen before. We've never seen what, what he's done. Um, that said, it doesn't necessarily, I guess it just happens that on YouTube, there's there's someone who's kind of leading the meta, and then that creates aspiration, which makes this ripple effect where everyone is making content similar to that person. Totally. And I think there's actually, maybe it's just me, a little discomfort with the fact that we don't know who is perhaps leading the meta now. Like, I think we had yeah. a few years, right? Uh, there are eras of YouTube where it was like very clear mm -hmm. sort of what it meant to succeed, what the meta was. Yeah. And now I think the the Mr. Beast era, I guess you would call it, has maybe lasted a little bit longer than than people expected because like there was this influx of excitement about YouTube in general. And you would have thought maybe that there would be like a cycle of of something new yeah. that the platform and that audiences deemed as like the new thing. Yeah, I think he's he's held his position stronger than everyone maybe hasn't either anticipated or seen before. Typically someone's kind of leading the pack and it's like three years. Yeah. And then they, they don't want to do it anymore. They don't want to upload anymore. They change their vibe. They go to TV. They go do something different. There's got to be a sports analogy here somewhere, right? There's got to be someone, but like he is not slowing down and continuing to push. But I think people who were trying to be like him have now burnt out. And now that's like, now we're in that era of like, we tried, but, you know, there's got to be something new. I think, I think the, maybe the sentiment 
that I can understand is like the the like YouTube feels like it's not a place for originality, but that YouTube's a massive place. There's so much content on YouTube, right? Yeah. But I think people just feel like uh, the fact that so many people are adopting his style and aspiring to be like him is what has felt like the most tangible change. And to I think platform. because a lot of his content's based around money, yeah, giving it away, and he's very transparent sort of with the fact that he makes a lot of money. It's hard not to when you're that big. The brand of YouTube became opportunity, not self-expression. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about, like Casey Neistat made a ton of money off YouTube as well and yeah. off of selling Beam and has done really well for himself. But the brand of YouTube, because of the style of content he made, was come here to express yourself. Yeah. So I think there's like some discomfort uh, from some people of like, what is the brand of YouTube? Because I identify as a YouTuber, as a YouTube creator. And what is the overall brand uh, in society? Right. Because that will like impact me. And and when I tell people, yeah, I'm a YouTube creator. I have a YouTube channel. Do they immediately think like, oh, you must make videos like Mr. Beast? Mm Because not everyone wants that. Yeah, of course. I I think it's also I think it's what you said about um, YouTube has become the land of like opportunity. And when when the opportunity is so well known, that does change the creative. Mm -hmm. It just changes the creative. Um, and I wanted to bring up you just brought up Casey. Um, Watch this clip from him and Rich Roll this weekend. Did you see that? I don't think so. From he was on recently again. No, no, no. He was on a while ago, but it was a clip that surfaced that started getting passed around. I've noticed you've dropped off in terms of like posting on Twitter and stuff like that. I have a new rule with just with Twitter, which is every time I think of something clever, interesting, funny, insightful to tweet, instead of tweeting it, I just don't. Right. That's my rule. <laughs> Anytime I go to tweet, uh, just don't. Tarantino, maybe you know one of the best living filmmakers right now. What does he take like eight years to make a movie? So for like seven years, you don't hear his name. Mm-hmm. He's not making IG stories to show you where he got lunch today. He's just living his life, man. And his movies are great and call me naive, but I think that it's a demonstration of where these brilliant creatives, where their focus is and their focus is on what they do great. And I think that in social media, there's sort of this weird perversion where it's less about your craft and it's more about marketing yourself, branding yourself. It's a stupid fucking buzzword, but like, that's what it's about. So when I think about what Casey's saying there, when I watch that clip, I actually related the two. Mm. The, the two clips over the weekend. Because I was like, what he's saying is right, but he's describing two different crafts. And I think we haven't separated those. Like, I think they have to be separated. To be a media maker is to regularly post stuff that will attract an audience. Yeah. That is what being a YouTuber is. It's like regularly posting stuff that will attract a large audience, a large and specific audience. To be a filmmaker or to be a creative is to make really creative stuff and then typically someone else handles the distribution. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino isn't necessarily handling the distribution of his films. He's handling the creation of the films. And the difference is as a creator, you are dealing in distribution. So once everyone kind of caught up to that, that we are independent media publishers, everyone operates totally differently. They operate like independent media publishers. So yeah, like art doesn't necessarily feel like it always has a place on YouTube because that's not the game of YouTube. Mm -hmm. The game of YouTube is distributing content. Yeah, which requires consistency. Yeah. And consistency doesn't always match up with creativity. It's not guaranteed that you're going to be creative every single week, right? You, You could argue like, with this show, one of the most important aspects of it, creator support, is that we're here. 
Right. Just that, like, we're, like, here. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. it. Just that, like, we've decided we will be here on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, one of the most important aspects. Yeah. Yes, it matters what we talk about, who we're speaking to, the intention behind it, and the value. But one of the most important is just that it's regular. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily, like— uh, a common trait of art. Yeah, I do think there's a craft to being a media publisher. Like, I think that is a craft. I enjoy that craft. I think that craft is really fun. I also enjoy the craft of making something really cool and creative. But those crafts are different. Mm-hmm. And my job is to is to be the media guy. That is my, like, regular job. And then my passion is to make something creative and, and fun. Those intersect a lot. But... They are totally separate things. And I think that's the thing that maybe people confuse sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can have fun being the media guy. We all get to be these like young media executives who choose things that we put on the air that attract big audiences. That's also a fun thing. And I, I think um, it's just separating those two things with like that conversation of did Mr. Beast ruin YouTube? Like, no, he just showed us a whole different way of being a, a studio executive at 20 some odd years old. Yeah, he kind of was just like, how hard can I push this thing? Yeah, how how <laughs> much can I compete with the other studio executives who are putting stuff on the air that are reaching hundreds of millions of people? Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. So when you think of it in that context, it's just that we have so many different versions of what a YouTuber is in our head. In today's age, like the 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 ones that we are seeing rise to the top are the studio executive, the media distributor, the internet publishers, um, not necessarily like the creative craftsman. Mm-hmm. Again, sometimes those intersect, but you know, most of the times they don't. Yeah. It's important to understand as a creator where you lie on that spectrum. It yeah. doesn't mean that you have to pick one side, artist, media distributor. Yeah. You know, like you said, like we have this format, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more on the media side. Like we are here. Yeah. Uh, we will continue to be here, but then we pick projects that we can distribute mainly on the main channel. Yeah. Uh, that are more of that creative thing. And we make sure sometimes there's no brand obligations on those. We can take as much time as we want. Yeah, the thing we do is uh, avoid the commercialization of our passion t- like too much. Yeah. You, you want to avoid that. That that sounds like almost like um, antithetical to this whole thing of like, mm-hmm. wait, I'm passionate about making videos. So shouldn't I monetize that? I always tell young filmmakers, like if you have a, a passion film, you always wanted to make a film. Just don't sell that one. <laughs> yeah. Don't sell it. Be don't, careful don't with get, how many people you get involved. Don't get anyone involved in that one. Mm-hmm. Make enough money doing something else to finance that film on your own. Yeah. That's that's the game of this this thing. Like if you're a true creative. Um so to answer the question, no, I like obviously I don't think Mr. Beast ruined YouTube. I think he just opened our eyes to something different. I think the challenge is if you don't look within and think am I trying to be the next studio executive or am I trying to be the next filmmaker? If you look at Mr. Beast, he's probably, he, he, he looks and feels more like if you look at some of like the TV executives of the 90s and 2000s mm-hmm. than, you know, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Right? I think the, the positive right now, and I said this on the roundtable as well, when Jack Septiguy says like it's become all about popularity and views, yeah. uh, I actually think, and I said this, like I said on the um, roundtable, that it's more about brand overviews right now. Mm-hmm. That like, sure, Mr. Beast gets a lot of views, but they're not views in random directions. Yeah. Right. Like it's a pretty consistent brand that he's built. And I actually don't think that's like a bad thing mm-hmm. if you're trying to build a business. I agree with Casey that that is kind of what it has become. Right. Like, it is a lot about promoting your brand. 
But if you're trying to make a business out of it. That's part of it. That's part of it. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. Interesting. Interested to hear your guys' take on this. Um, you know, outside of like this isolated moment on Twitter that became very, very viral, just this conversation comes up a lot. Uh, and, and this, like Jimmy's impact on the platform comes up a lot. And I'd be curious to hear everyone's perspective on it. Um, again, I firmly believe it's like, you don't have to aspire to be like him. Totally. And, and then that changes the whole thing. It's like, okay, well, cool. Yeah. Just there's so many ways to make it on YouTube. Yeah. Even though he's one creator of the year every year for five years, <laughs> I don't think you should be stacking yourself yeah. up against that. True. All right. In line with this from the subreddit, I really like Jordan Schwarzenberger and his thoughts. So this is in reference to our interview with um, the manager of the Sidemen. But I could not disagree more with his take on Creator Inc., specifically when he said there will never be another Sidemen or Mr. Beast. I think he falls into the trap of what all industries think at one point or the other, which is that the industry is stabilized and no one can dethrone the top. Again and again, we see new entrants that innovate and outcompete entrenched market leaders. IBM got by, beat by Microsoft. Netflix bankrupts Blockbuster. Amazon crushes Barnes & Nobles. Even more recently, TikTok has gained more market share in the world than Instagram, YouTube, Snap, and Twitter. The top creators won't be the exception to this rule. I don't expect the current winners to suddenly disappear. I'm truly confident that there will be more Sidemen-sized creators sooner rather than later. Very well-thought-out take here. Yeah, I, for the most part, agree. I think... All of this just comes down to uh, perspective and time. I don't think there will be a new Sidemen or a new Mr. Beast in the next year or two, or probably even three years. Like, I think this thing will take a lot of time. Like, I think it sometimes yeah. generationally, it will take creators 10 years, like it yeah. took the Sidemen and like it took Mr. Beast to get to a point where they could be of that size. Like, I think brands like that, audiences of that size and communities that passionate, I think require lots of time in market. Yeah. So like, yeah, they may not be getting dethroned, quote unquote, in the near future. But of course, at some point, there will be a shift, right? And like mm -hmm. generationally, there will be a new face of what it means to be a big time media group on YouTube, a big creator like that. So uh, here, here's my take on this. Like, I remember when we were in sports, we used to talk about this, this moment in time where ESPN arised, right? Which is the one of the largest sports networks here in, in the US. And Sports Illustrated was the biggest sports media publishing company. They had the biggest magazine at the time. The question always that I looked at was why didn't Sports Illustrated launch a TV network? And it was because of this reason. They were at the top. They were like, well, we do works. No one's gonna watch 24 seven sports on TV. That's crazy. Um, and they didn't launch TV, and then ESPN became the market leader. But you're right, that took a very long time to happen. Um, but what ends up happening in any business, when you're going from like, it doesn't exist at all to it exists, you are super attracted to risk because you have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. You're just like, let's just do it. Let's go nuts. Let's do whatever. Let's just try anything. Um, and then once you build something, you have a ton of employees, you have a studio, you have a bunch of overhead, you have to make a certain amount of money every month to cover that. All of a sudden, you make different decisions. You become more risk averse. You're less interested in taking big swings. Mm -hmm. So then when the new player comes around and they're willing to take big swings, it's nearly inevitable. They're right. It's nearly inevitable that it happens. So I think what, what might happen is the next 
person that we see is going to be a single solo creator with no overhead who then can, you know, essentially outpace someone else because they don't have anything anchoring them down. But if they want to build a media company, they'll fall into a similar cycle. Mm. So I don't, I don't know that I agree. It'll be a very long time until something like that happens. But I, I agree with this take that it's typically the person sitting in their bedroom alone right now who doesn't have a team, you know, or any mm -hmm. overhead who might be able to outpace. I think that's where Ryan Trahan came in the picture, right? Was just yeah. like, once he reduced his team size and became very nimble, it's just like he was able to explode uh, and is able to compete at, at, at very high levels. I think too, it's, it, it is very hard to stand out right now. Yeah. There have been many years of what I would call premium content, like creators who are taking this really seriously, putting out formats and high quality series. And I think just when you watch YouTube, you and I say like, it's tough right now. There's yeah, a tough. lot of stuff. If you search anything in any niche, like it yeah, is so much crazy stuff. how many options there are. And when you bring up Ryan, I think what makes him special and what made him stand out, you mentioned this on the round table, that he, you know, he is in that challenge genre in mm -hmm. a way, but he said, I try to pick actually the most ordinary things, the most attainable, yeah, yeah. The underwhelming. Almost, almost underwhelming and underwhelming. boring. Yeah. And that's what makes him stand out. Right. You know what I mean? That like in this genre, he has actually chosen to go a completely different way. Yeah. And I think that's what just new creators should think about in general is mm -hmm. uh, how can you do something where actually not many people are trying to compete with you there? Like that's a very competitive so, yeah, yeah, genre. Totally. And he was like, let me flip it on its head. And instead of doing really difficult things, mm -hmm. let me just do underwhelming things and see, let me experiment with that. Right. And it actually worked really well. So speaking of different genres, this weekend, we had a discussion amongst our team around the video essay genre mm -hmm. on YouTube. Um, and I'm saying that specifically because I started by sharing James Janney's new SBF documentary, which is about Sam Bankman Freed, the guy who started FTX. Um, James Janney is phenomenal. He's so good at what he does. Like this, this crop of creators, Dodford, um, James Janney, um, even like Johnny Harris, like the video mm -hmm. essayist who's like putting together all of this information. Cleo Abram, I watched one of her videos about robots and why they've taken over refereeing in sports. Like mm -hmm. it was fantastic. But when I watch James Janney and Dodford specifically, they feel like documentaries. And I think it's because they call them documentaries. Um, they put, like James Janney took eight months to put this together. Let's play a clip of it real quick. Uh, my name is Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm the CEO co-founder of FTX. Did you ever imagine that at 25, when you got involved, you would now be one of the most important people in the crypto world and have become a multi-billionaire? No, I, well, no, although. Not only one of the nicest people in crypto, but one of the smartest as well. Uh, SBF, thanks for taking the time out of your day down in the Bahamas to join us. How are you doing over there? At only 30 years old, this guy had an estimated net worth of $26 billion. I mean, Forbes had already done an article on him. Save for Mark Zuckerberg, no one in history has ever gotten so rich so young. Sam is a genius, an effective altruist, and he's also the wealthiest person under 30 in the world. You can tell in the pacing of yeah. that, in the sound design, even if you're just listening and you're not watching, that this it feels like a documentary. Even the branding of it, the thumbnail is mm -hmm. looks like a it looks like Netflix thumbnail. The newspaper headlines, like these are elements of documentary. You yeah. watch something on Netflix that's a true documentary with like you know, a lot of effort and time put into these, 
they look similar. Like yeah. they have those newspaper clippings. Right, right. Very well put together. Um, the question that emerged in, in, amongst our team was, is this a documentary or is it a video essay? And there was a very good perspective from David on our team who said that for it to be a documentary, it requires multiple perspectives and sit-down interviews. What do you think is the distinction between doc and video essay? Like, are these docs that they're making? To me, it's like, I think I, I agree with like original footage sometimes, access. Like there's certain components to a documentary that. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily requires, I think it requires other perspectives, but I don't think it requires that you were the one who filmed those original perspectives. Yeah. I think it's enough to pull a role from, uh, you know, the news or other interviews that are out there on the internet. Like but is that you, a video essay? Because like an essay provides a ton of source material, right? From other places and like sites. Like essentially, if you can end it with just like footnotes and that's where everything yeah, comes from. But for me, a video essay is when the narrator is speaking almost the entire time. James is speaking. No, I don't a know. A lot of the I time. I think there's man. like a lot more breaks he's, there. He's hosting though too. He fills the gaps kind of like, uh, text on screen or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, fair. I mean, this discussion is whatever, right? Like, it's whatever it is, it's a great video. Um, but yeah. I just thought it was an interesting discussion, distinction between uh, doc and video essay. This is my favorite genre on YouTube right now. I can sink into one of these, like, on my TV, on my phone, like, just really settle into one of these. Um, yeah. And they're always great. Cleo Abrams, most recent one about, again, robots and referees. I was just like, I didn't know I wanted to know all of this stuff. Yeah. And now I know a very in-depth version of it. Yeah, it feels like the uh, the ripple effect from Vox. For sure. Right? Even with Cleo and Johnny coming from Vox. Uh, but even for us, like Vox was very aspirational for, sure. for us when we started out on YouTube. Where does it, though, like where did, where did these go? Is that just like the end? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay. I, I think like... Uh, what do you mean in terms of where do these people go who make yeah. these? Or do they become editors at Netflix and, you know, like our production companies that are producing for Netflix? Because they're such good editors. Like the post-production of these films or video essays are phenomenal. I would trust them to get involved in Untold on Netflix. Or, you know, I think that James Janney or Dodford would be better creatives you know, for an Untold or to be in the room when you're making a, a Netflix documentary. Um, then maybe maybe fifty percent of the people who who get put in those rooms. I would agree with that, but I think uh, it is a big risk if you're making Untold, a sports documentary with many interviews uh, and source footage. Most likely, there are. I mean, definitely, there are enough working yeah, professionals yeah, yeah, for sure for on sure. that side of the industry. I'm not saying they should be the the only, but I think having them in the room sure. is like. I think that would be interesting yeah. to see the the perspective that they bring. But I, yeah. when you say where does it go, I think it it's a specifically and uniquely YouTube genre. The like, I, I will grab uh, hours of, of yeah. footage and I will scour the internet and put things together in a way that people haven't seen before. I'm going to make the docs that traditional media is not going to make because they're uh, perhaps too difficult in terms of like getting all the yeah. footage. They're too niche in terms of topic. I think one of the challenges right now is YouTube is so incredibly idea-based. Like I love James Janney's style, but if someone else made the SBF piece, I'd watch it. Yeah. You know, like, but I love his style. Mm -hmm. But I also love Dodford's style. Like, if Dodford had made it, cool, I'm down to watch the Dodford. Or if Johnny Harris made it, cool, I'll watch the Johnny Harris one. Yeah. Like, I think um, 
you don't think the creator has much space to sort of flex and grab in, in brand? that format. In yeah. that format, I think um, unless you interject a lot of personality, I think Johnny and Cleo style. have done a really good job because they interject a lot of their personalities. Um, but I just think that the next wave has to be personality driven. It has to be because, like, right now, I just feel like I get videos, but I'm not connecting to any creators mm -hmm. in the way that I used to. Like, I'm I'm watching videos. I'm like, oh, it's a great video, but I'm not going deeper. With yeah. the creator. I have a craving for those types of creators to leave the desk. Totally. And Cleo does that. Cleo does like, that, yeah. Uh, and Johnny, of course, has like a massive history yeah. with doing that. But I have such a craving for them to have like a real life experience alongside totally. telling the story. Yeah, I think Yes Theory isn't that example, right? Where it's almost like video essay, but they're living mm -hmm. the example. Oh, I guess that's a documentary. I don't know. Who knows? Someone settle this debate Documentary for or video essay? What's the difference? A docu-essay. Um, all right, here's a question that comes from Julian Cuddy on the subreddit. Hey, Colin and Samir. I have a question about when is a title too sensationalist? So to give some context, I'm a former college football player and I spent eight years of my life working really hard to get into the NFL. And my senior year of football, right before qualifying to go into the NFL, I decided to walk away from football. I'm thinking about making a YouTube video titled, I walked away from $700,000 from the NFL. And Technically, if we want to get really technical, that's not necessarily a lie because I walked away from a career in the NFL, which would include a salary of at least being $700,000. But I don't want to deceive my audience and make them believe that I lied to them when they clicked on the video and I'm making them think that it's clickbait. When is a title too sensationalist to the point where you have to dial it back and just realize like, all right, we got to come up with a different title that's actually, you know, more truthful than what's actually being told. Thank you so much, though. I love you guys' content. It's a great question. Yeah. That's a fantastic we, question. I think we struggle with that a lot. Not as much this year uh, because we've settled into some formats when it comes to interviews of an unfiltered conversation with, mm -hmm. an honest conversation with, the full story of, and those are not that sensational. But, but I would say last year when we were making similar to like video essay style conversations yeah. between you and I where we were picking topics – we definitely struggled with, is this too sensational? Yeah, I'm probably more typically on the side of go sensational because that's the game. And I think you're typically on the side of whatever the opposite of that Let's is. Let's bring it back to a little Let's bit more Let's bring it back. Uh, honest. Um, I think the exercise of going all the way to what's the most crazy clickbait version of this is a good exercise to just stretch it. And then if you're feeling uncomfortable, you're like, that's not what the video is. Then you you pull back. Yeah. I, this situation, let's, let's pinpoint this situation. So he's talking about progressing towards an NFL career, leaving football before he even gets there, but his whole life thinking he's going to do that. Yeah. So I gave up a $700,000 NFL career. To me, that video sounds like it's going to under deliver because you didn't necessarily get to the point where you had an offer. Hmm. Yeah, so to you didn't walk turn down the offer. You didn't yeah. turn down an offer. To walk away before it's offered to you because you left the field, I think is like is disingenuous. And I I think the comments would probably be like questioning, well, like you weren't even you weren't even offered. You dropped like you like left school. Yeah. I understand, but But I think if you're living your it depends on what the story it's is. It's not like, like dropping out of med school the last year of med school, where like yeah, you're you're, but you're if, very like that's 
I don't know. For me, it's like getting into the NFL is yeah, like, yeah, shit, fair, like fair. who knows? It's impossible. If, like, if the story is more about like your mentality growing up was that that was your career and then you made a hard pivot out of that, I still think that's a reasonable, somewhat reasonable title. Because like if you're living your life in college being like, okay, I'm, I'm the bare, bare minimum salary is going to be 700K. Like I'm definitely going to at least yeah. try for this. And then you make the hard pivot to be like, I'm not even going to try. I'm going to move away from this whole life. I mean, if we were to brainstorm, what's another title for that? Because you can't go like it, whenever we do this, I try and go with like the spectrum of what's the on the nose title. If you were just titling it exactly, if you're telling someone what the video is about. I quit college football. Yeah, like, I mean, I, 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 I think to bring it down to earth, it sounds like you have to say more so, I gave up my dream. Yeah, why I gave up my dream. Which is not yeah. as interesting. $700,000 is more interesting. To, to, but, but that moment doesn't ex exist in the, in the story, from what I can tell. It could exist in his mind, though. You yeah, see what yeah, I'm saying? And, like, and if the video is good enough and you feel like the value that you deliver off of like the lesson you learned from moving away from that dream, it's worth the risk it can be worth the risk to clickbait like that. Yeah. Our video, The Dark Side of the Demilios, sounds like a drama video, mm -hmm. like heavily dramatized video about the Demilios. And then you get in, and yes, we play clips from their reality show where like they're crying and it is, it is dark. But then we like teach you something yeah. about being a creator. But it is about the dark side of their life. Sure. But if you're clicking on that, that video, I think, overperformed for like, I don't want to say overperformed, but I think it performed at the level of like a drama video, a drama commentary video about the Demilios. And it was not that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like we, I think we like, we yeah. obtained the I, viewership of it and I think we gained new audience because we titled it that way. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of like snuck in. We we're like, oh, actually you didn't know, but you're going to learn some things yeah. about what it means to be a creator. And so it netted out positively. I'm not saying we yeah. shouldn't, like we should have done that, that. It just does not feel deceitful to call it that because it is about the, we, the whole thing is us pulling the darkest moments from that show. Sure, but it doesn't imply, like, education of any type. No, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I think, I think though, that comes with brand building over time. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the whole, the, the, the path of YouTube is to try and get as many people in the door, and then you have to keep them. Yeah. You can, like, you cannot say, like, just come in the door, and then, like, the platform doesn't reward that. So you're not going to win if you're fully being, like, just nonsense content with clickbait thumbnails. That's just not going to win. Um, but if you are delivering really, really good content, I think like in the beginning, you have to get people in the door. Yeah. And you're also not going to get it right every time. We've changed titles because we've realized, oh, I think actually our title is over-promising. Yeah. Uh, because it's too sensational. Sure. Let's dial yeah, it back yeah, yeah, so that sure. people click and then the AVD goes up because right. the expectations are met. Dude, our AVD has been just skyrocketing. Just, just a quick, like, Hell yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty, I mean, granted we are posting, like some people have been asking me about why we're posting like two hour plus videos now. Yeah. And it's cause the, like uh, the data for us is showing that people are sitting and watching for way longer now. We used to post 20 minute videos. Yeah. And now we're, we're pushing in the hour, hour and a half, two hours. That has caused some process complications on our end because when you have a two hour video you have to export it, which takes a really long time. And then you have to watch it back. 
for two hours yeah. to make sure that there's no mistakes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long process. <laughs> so that's very different from a, a but 20 minute video. It's definitely a simpler process than a 20 minute video. Our 20 minute yeah, videos yeah, yeah. were highly edited, edited yeah. structured, uh, worked through. Yeah. So um, when you're talking about testing out titles, I did want to bring up that, you know, a lot of people are getting the YouTube thumbnail A-B testing. We don't have it yet. We don't have it. What's the deal? What's the deal, YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> people are tweeting about it. People post it in the Discord. People are like, look so how much great- FOMO, man. Look at how great uh, thumbnail A-B tests are. It's like, what about oh, us? Wow, yeah. It looks real fun over there. What about us? In A-B land. Um, I don't think you can do titles yet. Really? It's just thumbnails? I, I think it's just thumbnails. Um, but it's been really interesting because- what the what it's gauged against is watch time, which is exactly what we're talking about. It's it's saying which thumbnail is driving the most watch time, not the most clicks. And I think that's a really important distinction because that means that YouTube is saying which of these thumbnails is finding the viewers who want to actually watch this video. And that suggests even further that like the pitch of the video has to be so on point with what the video is because what what's being rewarded is watch time. Mm-hmm. Click in experience it. And there's one small distinction that we made in our thumbnails um, for long form interviews was there was a time where we weren't including microphones in front of the guest's face. And it was just a great shot of the guest. Yeah. And what we realized was that was hurting watch time Mm -hmm. because if there's no microphone, you don't fully cognitively understand that it's an interview. If it's titled a certain way, that is more about a subject matter. You don't know that it's an interview. So like superimposing a microphone in the corner just subtly signals to you like, oh, it's an interview. I was just reminded of, I think, uh, one of our our worst eras of over-sensationalized thumbnails. Yeah. And this is when, uh, so coming off of the first interview with Mr. Beast, we put, and you can bleep this out, but we put, we put it in the thumbnail yeah. and it worked really well. Yeah. And we were like, okay, like one dramatic word. Mm-hmm. Or two dramatic words <laughs> works I think I really well. Yeah. And so then in our in our following interviews, for one guest, it just said drugs. That was Ty, Ty for Ty Verdes, Which was has, his hit song. Because he has a yeah. hit song. But yeah, but yeah, like that's yeah, unfair. Yeah. yeah, that's unfair. To just put his face and then the word drugs. <laughs> for Victoria <laughs> Paris, she has a really engaged community on TikTok. Yeah, uh, we put cult. And we put cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, that was a bad error. That was a yeah, bad error. That was a bad error, but we went back and fixed them. Yeah, yeah we yeah, fixed yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, changed them. That's a, that's the other thing is like don't like just really be careful where you're taking your signals from. You take them from a guy like Colin, you're going to end up with drugs and cult in your thumbnails. That's true, yeah. you know. It could happen. So we were just talking about the dark side of the Demilios, and in that episode was a graphic that has become you know relatively popular on Twitter because we tweeted it out, and Ludwig this week expressed that he has a problem with us because of this graphic. Expressed a gripe. We're in the deep end, so Ludwig, please share your gripe. This chart haunts my dreams. Colin and Samir, I have to give a big fuck you to both of you for showing me this because it has rapidly changed the course of my life over the past year. In a typical media company, remove the CEO and it can still function with its base intact. At a creator company, remove the creator and the whole thing falls. That's pressure and a reminder to keep your overhead low. Now, I saw this after hiring 15 full-time employees at Mogul Moves, the company that is purely created to service me, Ludwig, in all of my stuff. If I leave, 
Mogul Moves isn't sticking around. All right. Look, as much as Aiden uh, would love come up here and he would actually hate it, but as much as I would love to see Aiden come up here and do a Mogul Mail and then see Nick Yingling do my live streams, it'd be funny for a bit. But it wouldn't work. It wouldn't effectively work, and it wouldn't uphold the salaries of the 15 people who work there, and they would all lose their jobs. And that's something that weighs on me. It's something I think about often. Yeah, he he goes on to talk about the uh, the agency he launched, Off Brand, yeah, uh, and how that is built to essentially allow him to step like he. It doesn't have so much key man. It risk. doesn't rely on him. It services yeah. other creators exactly. Yeah. And and. Uh, First of all, I thought this was a very funny clip to surface. It was shared in the Discord uh, a ton. But um, it, it, it was something that I think is like a very good constant reminder for creators to think about, like, what are you building alongside? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And it is a pressure we all deal with, though. I mean, even for us, we don't have 15 employees. That's intense in terms of that Colin and Samir specifically, like here in the office. But, you know, that, that's a reality, right? Like there's the Colin and Samir side of the business. There's the published press side of the business. Mm -hmm. The Colin and Samir side of the business, the second you and I decide. Yeah, yeah, it's unscalable. We're yeah. done. There's no more. That's it. Lights are off. Lights are off. We close it's this over. shop. Yeah. You know, that's it. Um, and that's, that's a scary thought. Yeah, it's a scary thought, but you have to just lean into the reality. That is what we're doing. Yeah. We are building a brand based on you and I. So that is just straight up what we're doing. Um. It's the reason we didn't call it the Colin and Samir newsletter. We called it the published press so that we could build a brand that doesn't 100% rely on us. Um, but if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. You just have to realize you're building something that when you're gone, it's done. It's done. That's it. It's the nature of the business. It's the nature of the business. I'd love to catch up with Ludwig uh, and find out more about what he's up to. Um, on that note of when we're done, uh, it's over. Question from the Discord from Brinks. He says, will a YouTube channel ever get passed down through generations? So obviously family businesses and family channels are two separate things, but similar to how family businesses get passed down generations, do you guys think that there will ever be a YouTube channel that could be passed down through generations? I would imagine we'll yeah. see that, right? Where like kids of creators will inherit a channel. It'd be so interesting. I mean, okay, so we were at the Beyonce concert last night. Yeah. And first of all, went on really late. Way past our bedtimes. It was loud. It was loud and late. It was, it was loud and late. A little loud, a little late. Um, but Blue Ivy came out, who's Beyonce and Jay-Z's daughter. And that felt kind of like this generational moment where it was just like, like Beyonce left the stage and just let Blue Ivy dance. And she was just in front of all the dancers. Yeah. Yeah. Just dancing, was... just getting it. And I was like, oh, damn, like this does happen in entertainment where you kind of pass the torch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wonder what that would look like on a channel. I think way easier on a channel like... Like, obviously, if it's a big media company, yes. But, like, yeah, I don't know. Did you it's see? super interesting. Did you see when Matthew McConaughey mm -hmm. and his wife oh, yeah, gifted, gifted yeah. for his 15th birthday, their, their son, yeah. they finally allowed him to get on Instagram. Yeah. And then they made a collab post and a reel, yeah. like, saying, happy birthday. We're giving you the gift of social media. Like, you're now ready for it. Yeah. That's interesting that like yeah, celebrities yeah, yeah. That is and creators eventually yeah. could be like, here you go, social media stardom. Who do you think, yeah, who do you think, like the challenge there is that again, if you're a true like personality-based creator, it's like, I like you, you know, like I, 
Yeah, but there's a lot like of overlap. Like, I want Beyonce. But there's a lot want, of overlap. I don't want there. Blue Ivy. Whoa, I want whoa, Beyonce. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know? Whoa, whoa. Not saying. I mean, maybe Blue Ivy Dude, has last something. thing we need is yeah. the, the yeah. beehive over that's here. True, like that's true. That's true. Like, yeah. this guy went to the concert, yeah. called yeah. it loud, and then dissed. Wait, wait. I liked the concert. So did I. I had a great time. No, there's footage of me dancing. Listen to how high your voice no, went. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I, had a, I love the concert. Okay, we'll overlay the footage. There's footage of me dancing. Colin wore a nice hat. Yeah. Yeah, I wore a cowboy hat. I, like, followed the theme. I was there. He did the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll stop there. Stop there. Yeah, yeah, we don't, who knows? Yeah, yeah, I, love, who knows? I love Taylor Swift. I love Beyonce. They're, everyone's great. Both equally. I love them. Jesse they're, asked, they're, who, they're, who does he love no, more? No, they're both great. They're, this, everything's fine. Okay, uh, I'm just going to leave with, th- with this one quick thing because I'm interested in it. Um, this is from Jonald on uh, Discord. VR YouTube channel. Does anyone run a YouTube channel designed for VR or have insights on how these channels perform? I'm considering starting one in anticipation for the Apple VR headset. So we are also talking a lot about VR. The rise of VR headsets, I think, I'm just curious what the landscape of entertainment will look like when we are consuming it through VR. When you think about the concept that we probably will be like zooming we will be chatting. We will be looking at Instagram. We'll be just like looking at things through VR and AR. What does what does that mean? Will we like will we start to adopt it more significantly? And are creators preparing for that? I I do think it's a worthy experiment to hop on early, and I'm sure there yeah. are a lot of other channels that have been doing it, but it still is very early. Yeah. Karen Chang is who you should check out um, if you haven't checked out anything VR or AR related. Karen Chang is awesome. I think it's Karen X Chang yep. on Instagram. Um, check that out. Report back to us if you know of any other VR ones because Colin and I are getting interested in VR. We are VR boys now. We're we're VR boys now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, we're just intrigued. We're intrigued. We're, we're intrigued. V- we're VR. We're Vin. Nope. We're Vin, Vin Diesel. Yeah, All right. Vin Diesel. We will see you next week.